filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So I think I have to raise my hand and um, accept some responsibility for what happened in Houston on Sunday afternoon, uh, Sunday evening. I was, I'm on vacation in New York with my wife and child right now. And we got back to our Airbnb and I turned on the NWSL final, uh, having seen the notifications that Crystal Dunn had put the spirit up twice over the course of the game, including right at the beginning of it extra time. And I I turned the game on with, I think about five minutes of regular time in extra time to go. Uh, And then there were four minutes of stoppage time. And uh, the the goal came after I turned it on when the spirit were in a winning position, which clearly by the laws of sports means it's at least partially on me. And so I'd like to to raise my hand and say, I'm sorry uh, to to anybody listening. I don't know how it's his fault, but someone else who definitely deserves our blame is uh, Andre Hayna. Yeah. Oh, of course. Down in Houston. Yeah. Playoff game involving a, a team from the DMV. Yeah, obviously, Andre Hayna deserves some. He's ghost. Yes. Ghost yeah. of Hayna yeah. uh, causes a He's, temporary Adam, insanity. Adam probably deserves more blame, but Andre Hayna definitely deserves some blame. Yeah, that seems fair. I can live with that. But yes, I'm still very sad about that. Yeah, the Washington Spirit, they... They deserved it. They were literally 30 seconds away from winning uh, yeah. in the fourth minute of stop second half extra time, stoppage time. Um, crazy, uh, crazy finish. Congrats to the Western New York Flash, I guess. Uh, nah, nah. Mostly, though, proud of the Spirit for getting there and wish they could have could have held on and jason's been very quiet because i think he's I, i'm not even, ready to discuss this even more gutted than any of us like i yeah. made a guttural noise when that goal went in and i was i was behind i since i was watching on fox sports go on my xbox i was behind and my first sight of it was our own caitlin buckley tweeting about it and i was like and when i saw her tweet i was just like oh gods no yeah i was watching on my phone um and so didn't have access to Twitter or anything, had no spoilers, just got to live it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's better or worse. Anyway, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where you can find us writing about DC United, the U.S. men's and women's national teams, the Richmond Kickers, and this week, this past week, especially uh, the Washington Spirit and if you are at all a fan of women's soccer and you've stumbled onto this podcast but don't know about Black and Red United, you really should check it out. Um, I know I'm really proud of the coverage Jason uh, took the lead in orchestrating, uh, along with Caitlin Buckley, our, our beat writer for The Spirit. And I think it's incredibly strong work that, that should be read by, by everybody. Uh, We've got a a good show for you this week. No game for DC United uh, for us to break down this week. So we are going to do some kind of news roundup. I'm not sure what we'll call it. That'll be the first item on the agenda, figuring out what we're calling. Unnamed news roundup. The news roundup. Uh, And then we will preview DC United. Adam's fun time news roundup time. (laughs) I'm going to veto that one. After we do whatever uh, it is we're doing there, we will preview uh, DC United's visit from NYCFC uh, this Sunday, three o'clock RFK Stadium. Uh, get out there; it's going to be a big crowd, apparently. So you should you should definitely get out there and enjoy the atmosphere at RFK for the last home game of the regular season this year. Before we do anything, though, including before we name this segment, which I'm sure can only go well, Jason Anderson, what are you drinking? Uh. 
Well, first of all, um, I guess I should clarify something that I tweeted after the spirit loss. I, I tweeted a single a picture of a single shot glass full of bourbon. Um, but I still had stuff to do at that point. So I did drink my shop, uh, but that was it. I had to do, do some other stuff to make sure some other stuff got on the site. Um, and it wasn't until like 11.30 or, or 12 that I actually was free to start drinking. Um <laughs> Uh, as a result of the loss, which uh, I then finished uh, what was left of that bourbon. Uh, not, there wasn't that much. Don't don't get it. Don't get it confused. But you um, did drink it straight out of the bottle, right? Uh, the the second the second portion of it. No, I just poured it into uh, a soda that I'd gotten with my extremely late dinner. Um, just oh, to fun. just to get it all out of the way. Um, anyway, um, that was Evan Williams single barrel uh, tonight. I have uh, clown shoes. You, you put that. You put that in cola. There wasn't that much left, and I have other bourbons. I've got a bunch. That's so good, just sipping. Yeah, I know, but I had. Okay. Please don't question my actions on Saturday night. Yeah. Um, Mr. Fancy Pants, rich man, can put a fancy bourbon in cola over there. Hey, grief does weird things to you. It's okay. true, like confusing Saturday with Sunday. That's that's one of them. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jason. I, I'm only lashing out because I am also sad. We're, we're working through some things right now. Exactly. Um, so for to drink tonight, uh, I have Clown Shoes Brewing. Uh, they're from Massachusetts. Um, I have their Undead Party Crasher uh, American Imperial Stout. Is this uh, is this related to the, like the weird clowns that are everywhere now? I don't think so. Um, these guys, I, I haven't had any of their beer before, but I've seen their beer available before. We have this. had them on the show. Uh, there was a whole conversation about werewolf lawyers. Yes, uh, that um, was, all right. came um, from a clown juice yeah. bottle. This, this is that bottle. It does have a picture of a man who's dressed for combat with the undead, who is also uh, in the middle of. And I'm looking close. At first, I thought he was like grabbing the lapel of a werewolf lawyer, but he is actually stabbing the werewolf lawyer through the heart with a stake. Um, yeah. So it is a violent bottle. Uh, he has a crossbow, and now that I'm looking closer, there's a leprechaun, there's a one Frankenstein's monster, um, and there's the girl from the movie The Ring is clinging to the ceiling uh, in the background. So they really went all in. Um, the bottle is why I bought it, though... Now that the weather has turned, uh, an Imperial Stout is also called for. Indeed. Ben, what are you drinking? So a drink I've had, I believe, many times on this show before uh, is called a Washington Apple, which is uh, rum, cranberry juice, and uh, apple pucker. Well, actually, it's bourbon, apple juice, uh, cranberry juice, and apple pucker. And then I've, cre- I've sometimes I just substitute rum in when I don't have any bourbon. Um, but I don't have any apple pucker right now, which is probably a good thing. So yeah. instead of that, I substituted apple cider, like real apple cider. And so I'm calling it a Washington cider because I am not that creative uh, of naming drinks. Did so you it's make cran- it? It's rum, cranberry juice, and apple cider, to be specific. And the verdict on it? It's good. I like it. It doesn't have the cloying, annoying greenness of uh, apple pucker, which is always a good thing. It's a lower in alcohol, which may or may not be good or bad. It may be completely neutral, I guess. I mean, but... the amount of rum I put in more than compensated for the loss of the apple okay. pucker. <laughs> Strong work, Bromley. Strong work. Uh, I'm up here in in Brooklyn, and so I uh, went to the local grocery store, and uh, um, they had a big selection of Brooklyn beers, uh, Brooklyn brewery beers. So I am drinking Brooklyn's East IPA, which is a nice, very drinkable, um, yet very modern uh, India Pale Ale, uh, American IPA, I should say. Uh, It's good. I like it. And I like drinking things from, you know, cities that I visit while I'm there. So I uh, get to do all of that and talk about it on the podcast. So hooray. Huzzah. Huzzah. All right. Let's name this stupid segment that we're going to do. I know uh, Steve Goff has his morning kick around is what he calls the links. We have freedom kicks on the site. Audio uh, freedom kick. Audio kicks. freedom kicks. Uh, I, the, I actually the ball like, bag. I, I like Ben's uh, suggestion that involved the word time twice. <laughs> 
Adam's fun time news roundup time. Yes. I don't like that because it's not <laughs> soccer punny enough. Like Howler has Tiki Talka. There, there needs to be some kind of pun in here. I Adam's demand a fun pun. Times, Adam's fun times news roundup time. Yep. <laughs> and no, I think it gets better every that. time. I think it yeah. gets better every time I say it. Yeah. At first it was like, there's something there, I think. And now I'm, I'm fully committed to it now. <laughs> and I think you can't veto. I think it's my legal advice that it's two against one. So we win. Well, even if Adam does veto, we'll just carry on calling it that anyway. Well, that because that is the way of filibuster. Fun time, news round of time. So, on this edition of Audio Freedom Kicks, <laughs> we're going to start off with the news that, that came out uh, today, Monday, as we record this, that uh, Eric Tohir and Jason Levian have bought out Will Chang's 40% stake in DC United, uh, making their group, and there are other names in their group, we don't know all of them, but they, uh, it's not just Tohir and Levy, and they have they lead a conglomerate, not a conglomerate, but they they lead a consortium. Group, consortium, let's call it a consortium uh, of investors. And Will Chang is no longer a, a part of DC United's ownership structure after this. Uh, there have been some surprisingly strong, well, I guess not surprisingly strong. There have been some strong reactions to this online. Um, some completely without merit and some actually pretty well-reasoned uh, while still being a strong emotional response. Ben, what did you make of this news? Um, Will Chang is a wonderful human being for keeping DC United alive uh, during some of the worst econ- economic times that this country has ever seen and uh, sticking with the team. Because had he not been willing to lose probably a lot of money on DC United. I think they would already be in Baltimore, but he was willing to keep them in DC until he could find some additional investors. And then the burden was off him solely. Uh, But day to day, I don't think it makes, it's not going to make any difference in the running of the team. He's not been involved really in the day to day operations of the team since uh, Tohir and Levian took over a couple of years ago. So I, I, it's great. I hope he finally at least broke even on his investment in DC United. He probably, he probably, I'm sure he at least broke even, uh, or else he wouldn't have sold now. Hopefully he, maybe he made a little money. Who knows? But, um, I wish him well. I thank him for his service and keeping the team alive. But I, I, I find the more cynical takes out there a little ridiculous. Yeah, I completely agree. And to start with on on Will Chang, I think DC United fans, most of them know that they are kind of forever in his debt because like you said, without him and his dedication to the team, and by dedication, I don't mean uh, joining fans in the stands or in Lot 8 or any of that. And I am have a picture of him holding my daughter. He was out there in Lot 8 uh, over the years. But... We mean more not what, letting what Victor I mean McFarland... Yeah, what I mean cast, is his financial dedication. the team out. He, he bought out Victor McFarlane when McFarlane wanted out and kept the team in D.C. And, and kept them afloat so that they didn't go under. And, you know, I, I feel like Sacramento Republic would be in the league right now and D.C. United wouldn't be if not for Will Chang keeping D.C. United alive long enough for Tohir and Levian to come in and, you know, provide some needed financial uh, influx. Jason, I know there've there've been some interesting uh, responses on the more specifically to Tohir and Levian out there. I, I think everyone who's seen Will Chang in the stands or in, in Lot Eight is going to miss his presence, which has you know been on the down downward slope over the years since uh, he sold you know his the majority interest in the team, but he was still around from time to time. But a lot of people seem to think that this somehow is a death knell for DC United, which doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's it's a strange reaction because, uh, you know, on one hand, you've got people that want... Uh, there are a lot of people that are unhappy with uh, Tohira and Levian, and they want 
new owners. I mean, that's generally the step-by-step process there. If you're unhappy with the owner of your sports team, generally you want somebody else to be the owner. Um, But at the same time, I see a lot of the same people that have that opinion also treating the possibility of those two selling the team down the road, which is has been talked about for a little while now uh, with the stadium. Once it finishes, people suspect they might try and flip the team. We don't actually know what their motives are or or their motivations for that or or the chances of it, but it's been talked about. I I think that's fair to say, and uh, I mean amongst fans. I don't know that they've talked about it. Um, But people seem to look at that cynically as well. it's, it's, It's a strange conflict of thoughts to say that you want new owners, but also that you view the the owners selling the team with some sort of suspicion. Um, those emotions don't really go together. Um, they, they sort of pull against each other. Um, but in, in general, I, I, I don't know that I necessarily understand people's, I, I, or I shouldn't say I don't understand. I do understand people saying that they see DC United changing, uh, the culture around the team changing and, and things aren't how they used to be. And I understand why, especially people that have been around like me since, since the nineties, since 96, um, under, I understand why people would look at that and, and feel like they're losing out on something. But I also feel like, I mean, you have to put that in the context of this is the ownership group that got the stadium built. Um, this, this is the the ownership group that actually kept um, that got that done when no one else could. And not just in DC and, and several, I mean, Kevin Payne and the, the early ownership group that he was the face of couldn't do it. Uh, he couldn't do it on his own. Um, and that's not, I'm not bad mouthing him. It's just stating a fact. He did not, a stadium did not get built under him. Victor McFarland couldn't get a stadium deal done. Even when he thought he seemed, he seemed to sure that it was done. And when most of us thought it was going to be done, um, it didn't happen. Um, and when you look around the league, so many teams aren't in their city where they, they their name says they are. Bridgeview, Frisco. I mean, if you go down the Atlantic Coast, Carson. it's, you know, the Fox Red Bulls. The Red Bulls are not in New York. Uh, the Revs are not in Boston. I know they are the New England Revolution, but realistically, everyone associates the word New England in sports with Boston. Um, they are not anywhere close to Boston. The um, Union, the are, union in are not in Philadelphia. Um Chicago is very far out of Chicago in Bridgeview. FC Dallas um, could be, you know, a, a juggernaut, but they happen to be like 45 minutes from Dallas, which is already a gigantic city. Um, Colorado Rapids are in Commerce yeah, City and not right, Denver. But, um, I mean, the Rapids have their own, there are some other issues to tackle over the years, but yeah, they're not in Denver either. A lot of teams are not, I mean, the Galaxy are within Los Angeles on some scale, but also there's a, it's telling that these stadium's address is Carson and not Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, so you look around the league and you see all these teams that could be in a better situation if they had managed to get their stadium built inside a city. Now, in some of those circumstances, the team doesn't exist without accepting the stadium the other they did. The, the union probably don't get approved if they can't get their stadium built in Chester. Um, uh, you know, the, the Red Bulls... Um, as we've seen now with, with New York City uh, FC as well, have run into the fact that getting anything built in New York City is a lot like getting something built in inside the District of Columbia. There's no room and everything's extremely expensive. And the fact that people that live in those cities tend to view anything – like if you're talking about New York, people in New York don't consider where Adam is right now. They don't consider Brooklyn to be the city, quote-unquote – when they right. think of the city, they think of Manhattan only, even though Brooklyn is New York City. Um, so there's a lot of right, hurdles. But, but in New York, they, they also accept you know the the idea of the five boroughs being what defines yeah, New York, a, which is why the Mets are in Queens and the Yankees are in the Bronx. But even then, the Red Bulls couldn't do that. They built in New Jersey. Right, and partially because for them to get that deal done in a way that they could afford, they had to. Um, so this this current ownership, I'm certainly not going to sit here and tell you that they are uh, tremendously wonderful on all fronts, um, that they do everything that I would do if I were running the team. Um, there are some, some cultural things that need addressing between fans and club. I think that's fair. I think there are some 
financial regulate or restrictions that are in place uh, necessarily that aren't necessarily that fun to have to think about as a fan because you want to be able to go out and compete with Toronto or Seattle or L.A. financially. Um, but this team can't right now. Um, or chooses not to either way, you, you, you know, it's hard to yell at somebody for not spending millions of dollars when it's, they're I mean, losing millions of dollars right, every year, that money in the exchange. Um, but I do think fans need to take into consideration the value of building the stadium and actually finding a way to get it done. Um, and to go back to Chang, I mean, he deserves a lot of credit for keeping the lights on. Um, he never wanted to be a sole owner of a sports team. No. Um, when he jumped, or at least in not with, a soccer team, or it, with anyone. He, he well, talked yeah, because he's in a big group. About he's right. a minority investor for the Giants, right. and he talked yeah. about he talked a lot about how he thought that was the model to go forward and to follow, um, and that's why he was in with Victor McFarland's group is that he was going to be one of the owners, not the owner, and he had to look that you know that preference straight in the face when it was time for. You know, when Victor McFarlane was like, well, I'm getting out of here. Either you're going to buy me out or, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, and he had to consider that and he had to make a decision that maybe wasn't his his preference um, and maybe think uh, – and I'm only speculating here, but maybe think a little with his heart rather than his head because that was a, that was a very difficult uh, decision to justify at the time with no apparent stadium plan in place uh, to justify purely on a, a, a numbers uh, – basis so um you know he deserves all the credit in the world and and like ben said hopefully he did get um he did make something off of this it would be pretty cool to find out that people are actually making money at owning american soccer teams in general um given that most of the time you are definitely losing money all told i mean maybe there's like you know oh, I lost this money on the business, so therefore it's a tax write-off, so therefore I didn't actually. But there's a big difference between that and actually saying, like, I gave this much money to have this thing, and then later I sold it and got this much. That, right. The thing is, though, good. yeah, he he had the operations losses that probably, or I, I won't say probably, because I haven't crunched the numbers. It just occurred to me that the operations losses from the time he was sole owner of DC United may have out even exceeded his investment in the mm-hmm. team, which means he would want to double his money before he could consider it making right. money. Um, and, and that is, you know, kind of testament to what he went through as owner of DC United and dealing with the financial realities of playing at RFK stadium, which is essentially uh, from a financial standpoint, purgatory built an old concrete um, it's not a good situation and it's great that the team's getting out of it. And we have Eric Toe here and Jason Levy to thank for getting out of RFK stadium without also leaving the district and the DMV behind. And so, um, and I'm, amazingly I, enough, I'm willing to give the two of them some slack and there are issues like Jason said that they really should address, especially as they move into the new building and that they, they should do better in a lot of respects, but there there's also, um, I, I think some credit that has to be given to them for doing what seemed impossible. And I think they got out of all the options over the years. I think buzzard point is the best location out of all of those. I mean, Poplar Point would have been pretty cool, too. Yeah, Poplar Point would have been giving them more flexibility on uh, building on the stadium a stadium itself. that right. isn't really ridiculously constrained by uh, uh, an electrical transmission wire or line. Cause, not cause wire, Pepco, wire doesn't do it just, justice. Because right. Pepco ruins everything. <laughs> I mean, you can't even blame Pepco. The line was there. No, I know. And I it know. was there for a long time, and it would have cost $100 million or something to move it. Andre, I can blame Andre Hayno. Yeah, there you go. He's the one that decided that that is where the line that powers the White House should go. Or Pierre, or Pierre L'Enfant. I can blame him. Don't, don't blame Peter L'Enfant. He actually went by Peter in his later days. There, you learned something today. Let's talk about the national team. We'll blame Jurgen Klinsmann. That's what we'll do. Ooh, we'll yes, blame definitely. I think that's something we can all get behind. Um, or whatever the name of the Cuban player that kicked uh, Steve Birnbaum and the referee who, who didn't penalize it. Uh, let's talk about Birnbaum. He got kicked in the head, <laughs> uh, this weekend against Cuba. 
or on Friday, I should say, against Cuba, uh, suffered a cut that required, I think, seven or eight stitches, but did not suffer a concussion. Second time this year that he is taken a blow to the head and not suffered a concussion, uh, but suffered a cut with blood. It sounds like he he should be good to play, possibly against New Zealand on Tuesday at RFK Stadium. If not then, then certainly over the weekend against NYC. I think he'll be out there for DC United uh, one way or another. He might have to wear a helmet to prevent the cut from reopening. I don't know. But uh, Ben, I'm sure you have some some thoughts on this referee's decision to look at a guy get kicked in the face by a cleat, like the bottom of a cleat, and, and just say, play on. Yeah, I mean, in in one sense... It is welcoming the ridiculousness that is CONCACAF back to Cuba. Uh, I, I, did they, have they played CONCACAF games that, on Cuba recently? I yeah. don't even remember. Yeah, they did. They did yeah, a couple years just, ago. It's just the USA that it's had an rare. embargo, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they would get a license. The the U.S. national team would get a license to go down there from the federal government because it's for an international sporting competition. Right. Uh, fans had to travel through a third country and convince those the customs agents and in those countries and in Cuba not to stamp their passport. Right. So that. Well, Get back to the U.S. without going to jail. I think the story goes that in Mexico, you convince them not to stamp. And in Cuba, you hand over some money to to exactly. avoid the stamp. Right. Well, it didn't um, say what the means of persuasion was. And it, 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 just, it also reminds me that like in the fourth minute of the Richmond Kickers uh, playoff game, Samuel Asante kicked a guy in the chest and got a red card, whereas Steve Birnbaum got kicked in the head and nothing at all happened. It's all very CONCACAF, but it is. It it's is. all fairly ridiculous. And it, I'm kind of surprised at how tough Steve Birnbaum's head is, that he's yeah. able to get kicked in the head or knocked in the head and not get a concussion. I mean, that's a good thing for a soccer player. As we all know, concussions are very I have, bad. I but. have two theories for why he's come through these, these two events without uh, a concussion. One, he has an incredibly... A thick and dense skull, like a dinosaur that headbutted other dinosaurs. Uh, I think that is the less plausible theory. The other one is in both plays, he was going for a header. Um, when he, I think in the first one, it was a clash of heads. And in the second one, you know, a cleat managed to, to hit his head instead. But in both times, his neck was braced. He was powering through. He was attacking the header, which means his head didn't snap back. Uh, when contact was right. made, which means there wasn't a strong change of direction for his brain to go sloshing around inside his skull. So I think it's actually a, a testament to his fundamentals as a header of the ball Probably. that he hasn't suffered a concussion in either of these. I think uh, the it, if he his or neck had been relaxed, if his neck had been relaxed or he hadn't been a dinosaur, um, he it probably would have been worse for him. At least that's my my theory. Is not a doctor. Um, if, if we're going, we indulged in conspiracy theories earlier. Um, what if the conspiracy theory of, in this instance is what if us soccer did not apply a proper concussion protocol test? This is a Jurgen Klinsmann run team after all. Well, um, and I don't know that I necessarily trust that he is going to be as attentive to that. One of the quotes that he said today mentioned, mentioned, um, not like, oh, he passed the protocols. It was, he is a warrior, which is a huge dog whistle for yeah we think he's true. fine because he's tough now i'm not i'm not now saying that that's actually sad. i mentioned the conspiracy theory to make sure people realize i'm i'm this is a uh mock tinfoil hat exercise um but it is i would really rather hear klinsman say we put him through the the concussion the protocol and he is passed yeah. but, but we don't necessarily want to test the stitches that he's going to have to have that would be right. what I'd like to hear. I would not like to hear about how much of a warrior he is, because plenty of players who are warriors are now not playing soccer because of things like this. Yes, that yeah. is an incredibly bad way to put it. Um, yes, that's and, and that's uh, that reminds me of like, yeah, yeah. Old, like mid nineties, any sport basically, just like fight through it. American football, especially uh, British foot, uh, British soccer. It yeah, it's not good. Yeah. In other 
uh, potentially happier, though we're not going to, I think, treat it that way, news that connects DC United and the U.S. national team. Bill Hamid has been called in for Tuesday night's friendly against New Zealand at RFK Stadium. The real news, though, is less about his call-up and more about Klinsman's big happy list of people ahead of Bill Hamid on the goalkeeping depth chart. I'm pretty sure Krusty the Clown was on this list, um, which tells you how seriously I take Jurgen Klinsmann on on this one. Uh, obviously, he has Tim Howard and Brad Guzan uh, ahead of him, but he also lists the three guys who were in camp uh, for the, the Cuba game, Ethan Horvath, William Yarborough, and David Bingham as ahead of him, as well as Nick Raimondo. And only then does he get to Bill Hamid, who he lumps in with... Uh, sometime Chicago fire backup, Sean Johnson. Um, this is, I think, ludicrous on its face, this list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I should start with, with Bingham. I, I've seen a lot of people complaining about that one. Um, Bingham has actually been really good in San Jose this year. Um, I don't know that he should be in the top seven U.S. goalkeeper depth chart, um, but he's not the one that whose name I read and am immediately like, how is this happening? Um, That's William Yarbrough. Yeah, I mean, William Yarbrough is, is, and I've said it before, and I haven't seen anything in the last year or so to, to make me change my mind watching him with Leon when he's been a starter there, which hasn't really been that often. Um, he has recently um, climbed back ahead, but it's still not like he's... Um, first of all, like if there's one category that MLS can, can safely say they are stronger at than Liga MX, it is goalkeeping. Um, and Yarbrough isn't anything special in Liga MX. And if he came to MLS, he would be not one of the top 12 or 13 starters in the league. Um, I know that that's not all, that's not 12 or 13 Americans, but you know, no one, if David, that's still, that's still eight Americans probably. It's a bunch. Um, it's it's more than he he shouldn't be getting this consideration. He has footwork issues. He coughs up too many rebounds. He's not particularly good at dealing with traffic in the box because he's not particularly physically strong. Um, these are flaws. I mean, we're talking about the best. We're not talking about is he an uh, acceptable goalkeeper for your team. We're talking about the best possible goalkeeper for the U.S. national team, and he's not in. He shouldn't be in the running. He shouldn't be someone you're considering. Um, I, I hate right. to say anything good about the New York Red Bulls, but like even Luis Robles is way better than yeah, David it, Yarborough. Yeah, like if Robles or William Clint Lott, Irwin, um, what's that? He said David Yarborough. I was, oh. No, I, I thought I said William. You said David. Mm. Okay. Well, well I heard David. Well, I don't know. It could have been a connection <laughs> issue. That, that, I don't know. That, that, that's how little respect I have for him as a goalkeeper. But, but I refuse to learn his name. Like, on one hand, like Luis Robles and someone like Clint Irwin aren't, they should not be in on this list and they aren't. But if you're in their shoes and you see William Yarbrough on the list or Sean Johnson on the list, you've got to think like, how am I not on this list? Right. And those are goalkeepers that are both conclusively lesser than Bill Hamid. Um, so I, I don't, I don't understand his evaluation process. Um, I haven't understood it at a lot of different positions. Um, I, I was thinking right before we came on about Kellen Acosta surely ending up playing left back uh, when he is very clearly and very obviously a defensive midfielder. And while he's an adequate left back, um, there are better American left backs uh, kicking mm -hmm. around in MLS, much less uh, Jorge Villafaña, who remains yes. completely ignored for no apparent reason. Um, but yeah, I, I, this, the goalkeeping thing makes the least sense. Like, I'm not saying Hamid has to be the number one for it to be acceptable. I understand Howard and Guzan. Um, I even I can't really discuss Ethan Horvath at, at length because I have not seen any Norwegian league matches because that's kind of difficult to do in the U.S. Um, and I haven't been to Norway ever, much less recently. Um, so I can't I can't say where I think of him because I've only seen him a handful of times. And in this Cuba game, for example, you don't learn anything about like he he did a competent job, given that the U.S. Uh, seemed completely disinterested in having a soccer game that day. Um, and he had to actually make a couple saves. So he, he dealt with the fact that he was probably slightly surprised to be getting any work that day uh, because yeah. we're talking about Cuba. Uh, we're talking about one of the lesser teams in CONCACAF. It sh he shouldn't be having to do anything. But 
Um, but it's, it's still hard to get a read on his value. So I guess you have to accept Klinsman's verdict on where he sits in, in the in the ranking. But I mean, the rest of those guys, I, I know I've seen enough of to know that this isn't even this shouldn't even be an argument. Um, right. This I is like dealing with somebody who is a flat earther um, uh, when it comes to goalkeeping. It's it's incredible. I think a lot of this is honestly potentially personal on on Klinsman's part. He wants the elite players to go to Europe or to leave MLS. And David Bingham went on a loan stint in Scandinavia. William Yarborough's in uh, Mexico. Ethan Horvath went went to Europe. Uh, is, is Norway really better than MLS, though? No, but no. it's not MLS. Um, and in Klinsman's mind, that means, yes, it's better. I will note it's, that Bingham, Bingham went on that loan only because he was backing up John Bush, and San Jose was like, you got to play soccer at some point. Um, right. So they sent him away. It wasn't a... Yeah, it was nine we, games, by the way. Yeah, nine games. It was just played. a, we need to find you some games somewhere on planet Earth that is better than... than uh, finding a USL team that needs you right now. We need you right. to get too close to an MLS level gig for a little while. So yeah. that's all that was. I'm not sure you can draw a straight line from Bill Hamid signing or re-signing with DC United and his drop down Jurgen Klinsmann's depth chart, uh, in part because there have been some injuries. But when he's healthy, Bill Hamid's obviously one of the best living American goalkeepers. Yeah. And he Klinsman hasn't seem to do that and to his credit bill hamid has taken this in stride and said yeah i've been hurt and that means you have to fight your way back through the pecking order and i'm good with that and i'm excited to do that and prove my place which is exactly the right attitude and exactly the right thing to say we don't have to take that attitude (laughs) we can take umbrage on behalf of bill hamid here um and i i think like i said ludicrous on its face it is it is worth noting that Hamid hasn't been at his best in the last six or seven weeks. There have been a couple errors that normally we wouldn't see out of him. Um, I think there was a there was the game against Chicago. He gave up a goal that he definitely shouldn't, and then right after that, there was another against scene. New York. He gave up uh, right, the yeah. near post against him, right. uh, Bradley um, Wright Phillips. He he got right. caught guessing instead of yeah. staying so, big. He he hasn't been at his absolute best li- lately. So if Klinsman was like. Well, he hasn't been as best, so you know maybe Horvath gets a nod this time over him. That's one thing. Um, that is at least a form-based argument on goalkeeping. Um, but I mean, but form is. I mean, yeah, form's only part of the equation, and like like the ceiling on and someone what, like Yarbrough or Johnson is just no. It's not even in the neighborhood. And, and then you, Bra- you and get the Toronto Brad game where Bill Hamid was insane. Yeah, and what is Brad Guzan's form right now? Nobody knows, actually. He's not right. playing. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> all right, let's um, – we could talk about this all night, I think, but let's uh, finish off this audio freedom kicks or whatever. Uh, Adam, talking- fun time, uh, uh, news roundup time. <laughs> I knew one of us was going to forget what it actually is. Yep. I was really hoping you I, both I, would. And I, knew, I knew it was going to be me. <laughs> The District of Columbia has officially transferred the land on Buzzard Point for the soccer stadium to DC United on schedule. They did it at the end of September. Uh, you, If you've been paying attention, you remember back in the spring, they, uh, they did an infrastructure groundbreaking where Mayor Muriel Bowser and some other dignitaries got into a backhoe and pulled down a corrugated metal shed, uh, like a two-story tall shed, so like a big shed not like the one in your backyard. Uh, but they pulled it down to kind of ceremonially begin clearing of the site. The real groundbreaking, it sounds like, will be in January or February. The building sounds like is likely to open in June 2018. The team is uh, hopeful, <laughs> optimistic, uh, really, really, really crossing their fingers that it'll be before then. Uh, there's a possibility it could run a little later than that. We don't know. Um we don't know if this will mean a massive three-month road trip to start the year or whether DC United will have to play uh, another game in RFK, something the team publicly and uh, both on and off the record, I guess, or not off the record, but publicly and privately has said they will not do in 2018. They will not play an RFK stadium. Uh, FedEx. 
they may have to find another venue. We don't know at this point. It's all Maybe speculation. All, that's nightmarish prospects, Ben. I yes. know. That, yeah. Yeah. I did do some Google Maps uh, diagramming and figured out how to fit a, a within tolerances soccer field into Nats Park in a way that actually would make it better than Yankee Stadium. However, it would require removing the pitcher's mound, which I don't know if you can do at Nats Park the way they used to do at RFK Stadium. Anyway, like I said, all of this is essentially baseless speculation. Um, but we do know the most likely opening date for Buzzard Point is June 2018, which means there's a date on it, which is good. Um, and this is progress. And it, it you know fits and starts, and it happens very slowly and then all at once. And right now, it seems like we're getting closer to the period of time when it happens all at once. And that's a good thing. And that's where we're going to end this segment. Stick around. We'll be right back to preview DC United's game against NYCFC this Sunday. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell Uh, me. Depends. I mean... Well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will host their final home game of the 2016 regular season this weekend. It is finally upon us, uh, or or will be very soon, Sunday, 3 p.m. at RFK Stadium against New York City Football Club uh, of Manchester, LLC. Uh, That's what I'm going with. if you can't make it to the stadium, which it sounds like we'll have 20 or 25,000 people in attendance, possibly more than that. Uh, it sounds like they're probably going to open the upper deck again for this one should be a great atmosphere. So seriously go to the damn game. If you can't make it, it will be on WJLA ABC seven in the district, um, or your, the, the Sinclair station in your local market. So you can still watch it, but seriously, go to the game. We're all going to be there. It'll be a good time. Uh, we hope anyway, it'll be a good time on the field. It'll definitely be a good time off the field. I'm going to stop rambling now. DC United can lock a place in the playoffs, uh, with a win three points guarantees that they, they make the postseason, which is not necessarily a position we thought they would be in just a month ago. Ben, how surprised are you at the the change in fortunes, especially the the nine point week most recently? I mean, yeah, the nine point week was awesome, and I yeah, I obviously did not expect nine points. Uh, anyone who says that they did is a liar or a braggart. Um, I expected. Mm, I'm gonna say. I'll say six points. I ex- I kind of expected six points, or I mean, even hoped, points hoped for six that. points. Seven points could be done without consecutive wins, uh, which the team had not done before the current three-game win streak. Right. Which, yay, three-game win streak. I mean, well, no, I'm not even going to say it because I don't want to jinx the team, so never mind. Um, (laughs) Yeah, they win this game, they're in. They control their own destiny, which for a long time this season, we didn't think they were going to be able to control their own destiny. And the way that 
uh, Bobby Boswell and Steve Birnbaum and Bill Hamid have been playing, they might actually have a chance at shutting down uh, or at least limiting the impact of David Villa. I mean, it's been those games against these superstar players, the Sebastian Giovinkos, the David Villas of the world that have really hurt DC United. They've allowed those kinds of players to really destroy them. But I, I think, and I hope the way that the defense and the goalkeeping is playing right now, maybe they'll at least be able to limit him and get a result out of this game. Uh, ben alluded to games against NYCFC have not gone well for DC United so far this year, two losses in two games against the pigeons, a two nothing loss at RFK stadium in may and a three, two loss in Yankee stadium in what it, is now DC United's most recent uh, loss uh, back on September 1st. Jason, what's the biggest thing DC United have to do differently this time? And please go deeper than don't pass the ball to David Villa behind our own defense. Um, I think they have to embrace the team that they've been lately, where they've not just been a more talented group of players, but they've been more willing to take the front foot. Um, I think NYCFC is getting kind of used to the fact that because of their playing style, they tend to be the protagonist in a lot of games, um, even away. They're one of the only MLS teams that goes on the road and tries to do the same thing they do at home. Um, a lot of teams love to say that that's what they're going to do, but they don't actually do it. Um, so at RFK, I think United needs to go apply pressure. They need to force this game to be about NYCFC's ability to defend um, more than it is about United's because if you look at their back four, you see, you know, Ronald Matarita draws a lot of praise, but it's because of how, how well he can attack. It's not so much his defending. Um, and that's it. I mean, Josh Saunders is, is one of the weakest starting goalkeepers in the league. Um, their center back basically has a ridiculous amount of MLS cups. If you find yourself on the right team, it, these things happen. Um, yeah. But, Trent Dilfer uh, won the Super Bowl. Just remember that. I, I, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, yeah, he was never on my fantasy team. That's the only way I know of a fantasy, uh, if an NFL player's existence is, did he play fantasy football for or against me? Um, Pretty sure he won it with the Ravens. The only time I won a fantasy football league, was, uh, Rob Johnson of the Buffalo Bills was my primary starting quarterback. I believe this was 2001. It was a strange and ridiculous time. Anyway, yeah, that has been um, Ben talks about football. Creating this diversion. Yeah, this, this is a tangent. This is, yeah, is, all, this is on me. I accept it. I accept um, blame. Second time tonight. But they've been cycling through, you know, Vieira can't decide whether he wants to use RJ Allen or uh, Jason Hernandez as a right back. And, Allen uh, does contribute to the attack, but is not the best defender. Hernandez doesn't really contribute anything to the, the attack, and is also a center back playing right back. Um, Briant is a good emergency defender. He doesn't do much on the front foot that's very good. Uh, Jefferson Mena is not just not very good in general. Um, it's just a team that's very vulnerable in the back. Um, I think one major thing United needs to make sure they're doing is they really need to outwork uh, NYCFC. I must, I haven't seen any updates on Frank Lampard. I assume he's still not or less than likely to play at this point, um, given his calf That's injury, um, which means you've essentially got, they're going to, they'll drop McNamara in there. And then the rest of the midfield is not very mobile. Um, Andrea Pirlo isn't really going to do much defensively. And um, uh, Anthony Iriola, the defensive midfielder, he doesn't really cover a lot of ground either. He's the kind of guy that you can overload just by having a lot going on around him where he has to track people and he has to leave that, that central area. Um, so I think if you, if you just make the game quick and you outwork them in central midfield, you're going to expose that back four quickly. So it's not just don't make a huge error to give David Villa a great chance. It's, it's a really make sure that this game is about what DC United is good at right now. Um, and not let NYCFC get to have the style of play they want, which is a little more short passing. They like to build out of the back, even even at the risk of losing the ball um, or a terrible mistake because they've got guys that might do that in the back. So Yeah, but also don't 
make a terrible mistake and pass the ball to Vatican if you, if Vatican you can avoid the defense. If you can avoid not giving David Villa the ball, you should you should do that. Yes. Yeah. Don't yeah. don't give him the ball with no defenders around. No, just don't uh, give him the ball. Yeah. Also, yeah, that that seems to be a, a more prophylactic rule. Um and a better one. Jason, you mentioned that the pigeons want to play out of the back um almost to a fault and this seems to be a, something across all of Manchester football groups teams um man city got creamed doing this as well um how do you attack that is this a place where where dc united's press is really gonna come into play a lot and and potentially decide the game uh i i hope so um i hope that they go out and and press them because i think that's where um you can generate some real mistakes and you also have to take into account that uh their front line, I mean, Villa is great off the ball, but he's he's not fast anymore. Um, other than Kyrie Shelton, uh, who will be on the right the, the right side of that front three, they don't really have blazing speed up there. Uh, Jack Harrison isn't that fast. If, if Lampard comes back, McNamara isn't that fast. So um, if you press them and they have to go long, which they tend to not want to do anyway, but if they do happen to say, okay, fine, well, this is the time where I'll just throw it over the top and see what happens. As long as they're prepared for Shelton, as long as they have accounted for the fact that he might slash across or stick wide and just try and run in there to cross. If you're prepared for that, you don't really have to worry too much about them going on because they aren't going to be able to win headers with, with via going up against any of United center backs. They're not going to win those headers. Um, and they aren't able to stretch you out with, with speed where you have to, you have to sit deep because of their speed. It's not really there. Um, so I think this is the kind of game where United really does have to show the tendency to press more often that they've showed lately. I think they have to embrace that and maybe be, I mean, and I I'm saying maybe as if this hasn't been the case in recent home games, but they have to be open to the fact that this may be a high scoring game. Um, NYCFC tends to get in those. If you look at their goals for and against, there are a lot in both categories and at RFK, Including the last time these two teams played. Right. And, and at RFK, or, uh, or not just at RFK, but in general, United has been in a lot of that type of game in recent months as well. I think, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they're still the top scoring team in the last like seven or eight games across the entire league. Um, I, th- I think that holds up. I haven't looked at that. Um, but yeah, you have, you have to embrace the fact that you're at home and you're not playing for one nothing. Um, they have to go in with the mindset that they are going to go out and go get some goals, plural, um, and make NYCFC deal with it rather than it being a um, let's just get it, get the lead and then, you know, carry it through to the rest of the game. Because then at, at that point, you're risking one mistake takes out your whole plan. Um, I think they need to take the mindset of let's go attack this team and make them defend and make them uncomfortable because that's the thing that NYCFC is bad at is defending and being without the ball. They're, they, they're one of those teams. There's this expression in, in Europe. Uh, these things always get translated from in various European leagues. They always say you suffer without the ball. Um, and it always gets translated in English as suffer, regardless of what country you're talking about. And NYCFC suffers without the ball when they don't have possession it's not good. They are not in a good place. They don't handle it well. Um, and that's what United United needs to make sure that they are constantly, they might not win the possession battle, but that when United has the ball, it has to be very quickly about NYCFC is having to defend and they're not happy about it. Um, and I think if we see that a lot, this game is going to go pretty well. If we don't see it a lot, then United's probably going to be in trouble. Ben, I mentioned earlier that United can lock up a playoff spot with, with a win with three points on Sunday, but more than that, they can put themselves on the inside track. You said they control their own destiny. They don't just control their own destiny on a playoff game. They control their own destiny on hosting a playoff game. They can't finish higher than fourth. They're, they're not going to get out of the play in round, but if United take care of business against NYC and then on the road in Orlando, they will host uh, a play in game against the, the fifth or sixth seed. How important is that in your to your mind, uh, hosting that game rather than going on the road? It's very. I mean, it, it's very important. Uh, I think. I mean, this year they've been 
And most years, teams are better at home than they are on the road. And this year, it's definitely been true for uh, yeah, even DC more so United. this year for everyone. There was a wasn't there one weird there was one weird year where DC United was actually really really good on the road. Mm-hmm. Was it was that twenty twelve or twenty fourteen? It was one of those. I can never remember. Um, but that what that's not this year. Uh, they've been pretty bad on the road this year, um, and so. If they can somehow make it to fourth, if they can do what they need to do against NYCFC and then just get a result, uh, and then they could maybe take advantage of the already knocked out uh, Orlando City at at the end of the year. We were worried that that was going to be like a playoff, basically a playoff game. And now, thankfully, the Purple Lions are already out. So they just need to take care of business and they can host a playoff game and then hopefully move on to the next round and just have an, another home playoff game for the fans. And who knows what happens when you get hot in the playoffs. So being able to host that playoff game gives them the best chance of moving on in the playoffs. And at this point, that's what, that's what they're, that's what they're playing for. Turning back to NYC, Jason, we've talked about the fact that they want to build up from the back. We've mentioned David Villa, Kyrie Shelton, Andre Pirlo, Tommy McNamara. What is the single most important thing that NYC is going to try to do that DC United has to stop? Uh, I would probably say it's it's really the uh, distribution from Pirlo, I think, um, where it seems like one of those straightforward things. Uh, it's, it's, Oh, if we just don't give him time facing up uh, and facing forward that he'll be fine. He, he'll have to play backwards passes. And yeah, he might get like 90% pass accuracy, but he's not going to do anything with it. Um, it's easy to say it's much more difficult to do because Pirlo has spent his entire career dealing with uh, opposing defenses, including in higher level leagues and MLS saying, all right, all we have to do is make sure Pirlo can't, look up the field and and pick out those longer passes that open the game up. Um, if we restrict him to playing sideways or backwards, we're going to be fine. Um, and I think the best way to approach that, first of all, I think this is probably a game where Jared Jeffrey has to start on the right side of central midfield. Um, and normally that's not as strict a positional thing for United, but I think this time he has to be the right center midfielder, unless Marcelo Sarvas is miraculously back to play this game. Um, and I think his job needs to be mostly being the leader of I'm not saying he should man mark Pirlo. That's a, an ancient tactic. We People should not bring that up. Um, man marking doesn't happen in the modern game. Um, but he should be the ringleader of that side of the field's attempt to pressure Pirlo and make sure that he is always facing somebody, um, that somebody's always in his face and he's always having to go back to Iriola or go back to Allen or I'm, I'm sorry, um, uh, Matarita or, or Mena just every, every time he's not going forward with the ball, I think you kind of reduce the threat of their front three. Um, you're, you really don't deal with via by saying like, Oh, we have to mark via out of the game because he's so good at getting away from markers. That's the whole thing. Um, with via. So what you really need to do is make it so that NYCFC is a hard time actually attacking you. Um, in the first place, if you force them to restrict all that possession to just knocking the ball around the back and waiting, then you've really done the job pretty well. Um, and I think the key to that more than anything is getting Pirlo out of the game. And, and, um, you know, with McNamara back there, um, he's more of a dribbler and a, a shot creator. He's not necessarily, um, going to open up the game with his passing. Iriola mostly just finds a way to find Pirlo or to find the fullbacks. He doesn't really open the game up at all. Um, they brought him to be a right back, and then he was too old to play that role, and they were like, we don't know what to do with you. And this is where he's ended up. Um, so I think if you can get Pirlo to have a quiet game, if he's just not much of a factor, then you've probably set yourself up to win against NYC. If he, that, that's in general, not just for DC United. That's just the general best practice, especially with Lampard not there without having to deal with his runs out of midfield, which would add a, a much more complicated, uh, I don't know, a, a variable that isn't there with this group uh, as as comprised. So we know 
last time these two teams played NYCFC, once they figured out uh, who Luke Mishu was, they focused every single attack at Luke Mishu um, and tried to funnel the ball. When DC United had the ball, they tried to funnel the ball to Luke Mishu, and obviously that paid dividends for them. Where will they look to attack and take advantage of DC United in this game when they're in possession, when they're out of possession? What is their brief for this game going to look like? Uh, we probably will see a lot of um, trying to find Kyrie Shelton uh, on the right side. Um, his mix of speed and strength uh, has has been a problem for United. It's funny because he's kind of having a breakout right now himself, but last year one of his only good games came against United. Um, so he's had an, a knack for success against this team, and and Taylor Kemp has gotten a lot better at dealing with that sort of, of player at this point, but he's still giving away some size and speed to Shelton there that I think NYCFC will probably make an effort to exploit that, um, both with him staying wide and with him slashing in. Um, Via's movement is always going to be a major threat as well. So, you know, they're smart enough to know, like, they don't overcomplicate things when it comes to Via. They say, okay, let's all try and give David Via the ball and see what happens from that. And, and you know, if he makes a run that is into some space, let's make sure that our run complements it rather than getting in his way. Um, and that's they, they are smart to do that because you don't want to turn it into this, like, extremely rehearsed thing where they aren't fluid and everyone knows it becomes this like mechanical look and it's sometimes you want things like that, but I think this team is better when they are letting via do what, whatever he's going to do and everyone else is sort of playing off of him. So that movement up front with via uh, really having freedom to do whatever he wants and Shelton filling in when via pulls out of the middle, Shelton will slash in um, Harrison doesn't really do that. Harrison's more of a, uh, a dribbler and a creator rather than he doesn't really go to goal very much. And when he does, it's usually he's coming in for a rebound or something like that. Um, so, so that's, that I guess is the, is the, the, the issue there is just that Shelton and Via's movement, uh, Shelton's a little more predictable, but also because of his athleticism, he's d- dangerous in a different way. Ben, anything else about this game you want to touch on? Just, we need to beat the pigeons at home. I, we, we can't lose all three games against them this year. I just find that unacceptable, especially since we're ending the year against the two most recent expansion teams. Let's put them in their place and <laughs> clinch the fourth spot right out. I would very much like that. And I would very much like to not enter the game at Orlando needing a result. Um, that too. That I have so many memories of DC United needing a result in the last weekend of the season, only for Fred to be sent off with a red card for preventing a goal on the goal line and then the penalty being converted and RSL nipping DC United into the playoffs and going on to win the MLS Joseph, Cup that year. Just Fingwenya missing 57 goals against the Portland Timbers. Yeah. Um, there, there's so many times where it seems like that final weekend last year, United didn't need a result. They just needed not to get destroyed and they got destroyed at Columbus. Um, I'd really, really prefer to get this done and dusted this weekend. Yes, I agree. Jason, anything else you want to add before we check out for the night? Uh, it's not good to go on the road on turf on the last day of the season to have anything up in the air. So this is the game to go do it, uh, to go take care of business and not just set yourself up to get in, but hopefully, as as Ben mentioned, to host the, host the playoff game. I mean, it's a midweek game. Um, that, that first playoff game would be the midweek, uh, uh, like a Wednesday night. Uh, so you don't want to have to win. You host the, the next game. Right. So, so you get rolling, which has happened a lot of times. You also don't have to travel for a while. Um, so if you've got to have a midweek game, you definitely don't want to have a flight or, or train ride or anything like that in there as well. Um, so the fourth spot is not going to be easy to get to, but United is in a position to do it. If they can beat NYCFC, they've got a real chance of hosting a playoff game, which, you know, 
not that long ago seemed like a nonsense talk. It was just let's get to six, then and, and whatever happens from there is what happens. Now it's, it wasn't even a pipe dream. It was right. it was so far beyond a pipe dream, right. and now so, it's so now, and the real. opportunity is there to actually do it. And United needs to go seize that, and uh, it starts with this game. I, I mean, this is the one that you've got to have because it's a it's a home game. Um, yes, it's against NYCFC, but now we've seen DC United go on the road. One of the knocks was, oh, they haven't beaten a good team lately. Well, they went on the road and beat TFC. Um, yes, no Giovinco, but who cares? It's still they've still been winning games without him. So um, this is where you show that you can do it consistently. It's not just a one-off. And so it's a, it's a very important game, even though United probably is going to get in the playoffs without a win in that game. I still think this is a game that me, it's going to mean a lot in the locker room to go out and win this one. And that's where we'll leave it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Find us, uh, at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for this podcast, at blackandredu for the website. We are on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Um, ben, are we on Google Play yet? We should not, be. Not yet, not but yet. soon. All right. We're going to be on Google Play. Yes. Um, we're on the podcatcher of your choice, most likely. Uh, so, yes. so find us there. If you, you haven't already subscribed, leave a rating and review. Those are apparently helpful and we appreciate it. Mostly though, what we really appreciate is just telling a friend about the podcast, uh, whether it's at the tailgate on Sunday or, uh, when you're watching the U S national team on Tuesday, also potential tailgate opportunity. Um, whatever the context, if you tell a friend about the show, we, you, you earn our undying love, um, which we hope is worth something to you. We know it is to us. Undying love. That's a big deal, you know? Anyway. It's uh, undying. It is. Not a lot of things in this world are undying. Sounds like a zombie to me. Or a vampire. Maybe we should get Buffy to... Put it in the ground. Stab it. Yep. Don't... Why are you getting Buffy to kill our love? I mean... Why Why do you want to kill our love? Ben? The undead. It's, it's Mr. Pointy. It's... You guys... Anyway, just saying this ending has gone completely off the rails. This is what happens when I don't have my notes and have to think about what I'm going to say next instead of just going on autopilot. This is what vacation does. This is what happens when you record a podcast on vacation. Yeah. And you invite us to make comments in, in your ending. We'll talk to you real soon. Until then, for Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Put the zombies back in the ground. Don't kill our love.